Hello and welcome to the Big League Show. As always, I'm Connor Somerville, joined by Mr. Aiden Silifant, who for me is below me, but he might be somewhere else. So wherever he is, hey Aiden. I'm always top right. I'm always top right. Always top right. So one of those two. I don't know where you are on the screen, but you're probably just to the left of me. I'm on the right side. That's why I do the little spinny circle thing, because I don't know where you are. But that doesn't matter. That's just really stupid. Seth, our guest this week. How are you doing today? You know, feeling good. Woke up today, so thankful for that. Uh, just got off. I, I drove, as I said before the pod, uh, I do comedy, and I drove two hours to Hamilton to do seven minutes, and then I immediately drove back afterward. So just recovering from that night, uh, and now I'm here, and I'm glad to be on. Uh, glad to be interviewed about myself because I'm a bit of a narcissist. So this is really helping me. Oh, a lot. this is jokes already. Is it jokes or is it pure honesty? Because I think that that's what that was from oh, my point. What, what time was the show? What time was the show last night? I was at 8 p.m. 8 p.m. So you got there for eight. You did seven minutes. And then you got home around like, what, 1030, 10 o'clock? Yeah, got home at 1030. And then wow. eight which that's not a great time to eat. And by eat, I mean uh, three bags of Doritos and uh, leftover chicken parm. So that's what I had. That sounds pretty good. Healthy. Yeah, exactly. But uh, hey, I figured I'm going to reward myself. I had a good set. I'm going to reward myself. All right, sorry, I've hijacked the show already. <laughs> Don't worry about it. That's what this show is about. We get on tangents all the time, and I'm 95% of the time responsible for it. So it's going to be good to have somebody else to do it instead of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll dive into all your comedy stuff in a bit because I'm just going to say this now. Seth has done a lot. Um, I, When doing the research, I had to go four pages back on Google when looking up Seth Nevsky to not have his stuff pop up. Wow. Yeah. And there were like full pages where it was just his work. So... We're going to dive into as much of it as we can, but we have the Jays game in three hours, which should be a realistic time to finish, but hockey's exploding. Basketball is just getting in the finals, and we have four page, or two pages of notes to get through for Seth. So let's start off very, I guess, briefly and start with our first question that we always ask our guests in what is your first sports memory and sport media memory so like by sport memory do you mean like the first time you remember thinking about sports just first memory of sports period wow okay so i'm gonna bring up i guess it kind of speaks on sports fandom uh, especially at that time where i remember i was probably like i guess i was four it would make sense for me to be four and i was in my basement with my father and I pointed to a poster on the wall and I said, who's that? And he said, Vince Carter. I asked, do we like him? My dad said, yes. And then I went back down six, six months later. I'm like, do we still like him? And he said, no. So that's probably <laughs> my first memory of sports. And yeah, like I said, hey, uh, Allegiance uh, at that time and probably, you know, I'm saying at that time, but uh, fans of teams are very loyal to athletes on their teams until they leave. And then it's immediately a bunch of vitriol is thrown at them. But in reality, we're just people and we're all self-interested and we all make our own decisions. So That's sports in a nutshell right there and sports mm-hmm. fandom where we like to tear apart 17-year-old, 18-year-old kids for not scoring in a two-week-long tournament. Cough, cough, World Juniors. But 
let's dive into a bit more about you in terms of when you sort of got into sport media and all that sort of stuff. And I'm going to start with an article I found from the Toronto <clears throat> Star. This wasn't written about you, but it featured you. So you attended a basketball camp that was run by the Toronto Raptors. And I guess you'd been interviewed by the writer. I can't remember exactly who it was, but you basically said, uh, and I found this very interesting because you're still into this today. I feel like basketball should be a bigger part of this country for, mem- for many reasons. The biggest one being the inventor of basketball was actually Canadian. It should be playing a bigger role than hockey or sports like that. So you got featured in a Toronto Star article. And I want to know, first of all, how did this article come about? How did you end up getting interviewed for it? And two, when did you first start really considering sport media as a career for you? So um, let me start with the first part of that question. Uh, I got involved with that article because basically for a while I had loved sports, talking about sports. I remember when I was really little, and this kind of touches on the second part of the question, I would like legit make PowerPoints with pictures of NBA players and their stats. I'd have that stuff in there. So, yeah, I've been interested in it for a long time. Uh, So my Jewish mother called up the Raptors Basketball Academy, said, hey, how do I get my son involved in sport media? And then a woman who worked there interviewed me about that thing. Uh, And I probably, I changed my words on what, you know, I think hockey's clearly a big part of Canada, but uh, I found, I find a lot of only hockey fans pretty annoying. So yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's bring back some basketball. I agree with that that one. Huh? We're looking at you with that one. Only hockey fan. (laughs) There's okay, a Jays game a, on at four o'clock. I'm ready for baseball it. and a bit of football, but yeah. So I guess when did you jumping off that question? When did you first get into sport media and think that you wanted to do this as a career? Cause up until now we've had mostly people saying late teens, or I found about found out about Ryerson sport media program in grade 12 and looking at places to apply. But from the sounds of it, you knew from a bit earlier on, correct? I knew I wanted to do sport media very, very early on in some fashion and the way in which I've wanted to do it has changed throughout the years. But like I said, with the PowerPoints, I've always been interested in sports. Uh, I remember when I was really young, I'd like, I'd watch uh, the BS report, uh, you know, that Bill Simmons old podcast. And I really like that uh, back when they were called the basketball Jones, that was also pretty big for me. So I knew I always wanted to be in sport media Uh, but I found out about the program actually from another kid in the program, a year older than us. Uh, we knew each other because our brothers played baseball together, Matthew Winnick. So I found out about it probably grade nine. And at that point I was just trying to build up enough stuff in order for me to walk into an interview and be like, I've done X, Y, and Z, and that's why I should be here. So what stuff did you build up throughout your high school life, I guess? Did you do anything outside of school to help you get in or like certain classes you took? What kind of, what, what did you do in those four years? Uh, not really classes. I'd say the first thing I did, uh, and it's kind of embarrassing in retrospect, but at the time, just having the guts to do this as a, as a teen, like as an early teen, I was probably 13. I think it, you know, it kind of helped me. I had this uh, YouTube show I did called This Week in the NBA where I basically tried to make like the daily show for NBA, but I uh, was 13 and had no writing staff. So the jokes weren't very good. Uh, And then after outside of that, I started writing for um, like my own little sports blog. And then 
at uh, 15 years old, I started writing for Fadeaway World, which was this site. They have a massive presence on Facebook. Uh, and then when I was 16, I started writing for Pelican Debrief, which is a fan-sided site. Uh, and basically what happened was uh, they asked for a submission. So I submitted an article I wrote uh, for Fadeaway World, which I pretty much had free reign. So this was just an article about the Pelicans. I'm not a Pelicans fan, spoiler alert, but whatever. That's what the article was about. And I wanted to apply for just any NBA writing job at Fansided. So they said, like, where would you want to go? And I literally put in every NBA site. So they're like, hey, we have an opening at Pelican Debrief. And I'm like, sure, I can write about each one more. I can write about, I don't know, Jameer Nelson for half a year. So I, I took it. And uh, so, yeah, with that stuff, I had a podcast with Matthew Winnick when I was real young that got no listens. And, uh, yeah, just, just tried throwing a bunch of poo at the wall until something stuck. Yeah, you, as I mentioned before, you have a lot of stuff. Uh, and we'll dive into everything you've done and just sort of go down my list of things because I don't know when you actually did them and in what order because it's all like intermingled and uh, you've done like three different pod, four different podcasts and you run Crunch Time, which we had Drew Frank on who used to edit those. Um, but let's sort of dive into the application process for you. Uh, when coming into Ryerson, you know, you obviously had a lot of pre-created material in order to sort of back yourself up and show that you had an actual interest and you wanted to get into the program. But what was that application process for you, you like? Like, did you find it difficult? Did you find it easier because you've done more stuff? What was that entire process like for you? Okay, so... If I believe correctly, there are essentially three parts of the supplementary before going in for the interview and the little written essay or, or whatever. So I was pretty confident in my answers for like the, the writing thing. And one of the questions, just so maybe you guys could remember if you don't, uh, it was like, what differentiates a sports fan from a sports media person, right? And that was yeah. one of the questions. I felt pretty confident with those answers. The resume I found weird just because I don't really like I, I don't really like the format of a resume and uh, I don't think anybody does. <laughs> yeah. So I found that kind of odd. I'd rather just say what I have done Yeah. Uh, in a way like that, instead of being like, Oh, I, I used to deliver meals to old people as one of my volunteer things. And, and yeah, that taught me this and this or whatever. So that part I'm like, okay, it's a resume, whatever. And then the third part, here's an interesting story there. I submitted it. Right. Uh, and the third part was like a couple forms. I forget about what, but it was just a couple forms that you needed in order to get into the program. So I well, submitted There was ref references too, right? Then you have to get like, yes, I got three references. Three references. I believe okay. those were just emails though. Uh, shout out to Rabbi Michael Rootman, uh, shout out to Justin Jett, whatever. Those were my references. Uh, Warren Brown, uh, Alex <laughs> Groper, sorry. Wow. Shout out to them. But yeah, uh, so yeah, I submit these forms. Uh, there were PDFs. You downloaded them. Uh, you wrote in the information you needed to. I don't know what it was for, uh, some sort of demography or whatever, maybe something like that. And then you submit them in order to get into uh, the program. That was an obligatory part of the supplementary. I submit them, and then I viewed the forms, and there was no information there. And I freaked out because I submit them in December and I was just looking to make sure like right before the deadline. And I'm like, Oh, there's no information here. What? So I called up school. I was near crying 
by the way, there are people close to me. My girlfriend at the time was like, I'm praying for you for all that stuff just because it didn't go through. And eventually they let me resubmit the forms. But yeah, at that point I was like, okay, I've done the work. I had the marks. I had what I felt was a good supplementary and I might still not get in because of something I did that's logistically wrong. But thankfully, hey, here I am. So wait, I'm confused. You just submitted like the wrong document or like I you just opened the document, but for yeah. some reason the information in the document was not in there. That's so he so must weird. have submitted the blank PDF instead of the one that you'd edited, I guess. Yeah, I think so. That's very odd. Wow. That would stress me just unimaginably out. I don't yeah. think I slept for like three days until they said, okay, you could resubmit wow. them. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. So clearly it meant a lot for you to get into this program. So I'm going to assume this was your number one choice. This was. And, um, you know, I remember I was applying to this uh, couple, just straight up humanities or arts programs, uh, Carlton journalism, uh, media production at Ryerson, stuff like that. And although like I probably still would have enjoyed my time with Carlton journalism or media production, yeah, this was my number one for sure. And that's because I really only like two things, as you could probably tell from this interview. I like comedy and I like sports. And there are no comedy programs that would make any sense for any person to do. Like if you want to get into a comedy, just go to a shitty open mic and go from there. So there's no need to do any comedy program. So I'm like, oh, I'll do a sport media program. And uh, so yeah, this was my number one by a wide margin. I remember before like the, the due date for applying to programs through OUAC, I had like a, a mini crisis where I'm like, oh, should I apply to business programs? Just because I went to a school uh, in which everyone was applying to business programs. But in the end, I looked at Queen's business and I'm like, this sounds boring as hell. And this is going to be my next four years of life. And I just went, now. I'd rather be in sport media. Huh. So you applied to Carlton Journalism. I also applied. When did you get into it? Yeah, I got into, uh, this is going to sound... No, I got into everything I applied to. <laughs> Sorry about nice. that. Nice. Yeah. I, how many programs did you apply to? I think around eight. Okay. I beat you by about seven. <laughs> I applied to 15 wow. programs. Jeez. I got into, I think, 12. Damn. Um, although one of them was Acadia. And the only reason I applied to Acadia was because they were coming to our school and accepting day of. Hmm. So I just said, hey, why not? Uh, at least I'll have a university acceptance in november um <laughs> but yeah so some what of those pro- what program at okadia uh i think it was history oh wow it might have been business i if you, you would have loved that if you don't actually i'm a bit of a history guy like i love world war ii stuff um Jeez, i'm a master guy nerd. loves world war ii all right yeah i'm a bit <laughs> of a nerd um let's talk more about you and your ryerson stuff because it's supposed to be about you and not my insane number of applications um you mentioned your inter like you mentioned you got in, in march aiden and i were both much later than that when did you apply like when did you have your interview do you remember the day i don't to be honest uh it Thank was the God. first day one of, you're one of the first people who actually don't remember the date i'm <laughs> and i'm actually like i was surprised that so many people remembered the exact date but I have to yeah. scroll through my Snapchat memories right now to find the date of my interview. I always forget it. Mm-hmm. I remember the dates in terms of, I remember birthdays for people who are close to me and people who used to be close to me uh, that now make me cry. So, you know, those are the dates I remember. But this one, <laughs> it was. 
Do we need this to address one, that? Uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> She's doing great things. Uh, this oh one, I got, I got interviewed the first day um, of whenever the interviews were, but I don't oh, remember okay. the specific date. Okay. So, yeah, you started off early then. I think Aiden and I ended up interviewing unknowingly on the same day. Yeah, March 9th is yeah, my interview. Yeah, the day before March break. Oh, wait, you know what? It might not be March 9th. March 9th was media production for me, I think. Yeah, I did the double as well. I did both on the same day. I forget if I, oh, I forget if I did them both on the same day or not. How do I, for, I don't know why I forget this stuff. That, that should be something that I, I remember. Mm-hmm. I need to like uh, keep a diary from now on. And it's, it's weird the things I valued at that time in my life. Cause I remember like my parents were like, Hey, you did your interviews, said it went well. Uh, we're going to take you for any, where you want for, for dinner after I'm like, all right, uh, we're, we're near it. Chipotle. And they're like, really? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, uh-huh. get me Chipotle. I want the carnitas in me ASAP. And yeah. So Probably could have had a nicer meal, but hey, that was me back then. I didn't live near a Chipotle. I liked Chipotle, so I got Chipotle. Nice. Those celebration dinners are always the hardest to pick. Because, mm-hmm. like, you never know where you want to go. And sure. they're pushing you to make a decision, and you just, you can't. Exactly. <laughs> um, those are deeper issues, but I'm kidding. Um, let's... Yeah, was like, that was like a life's a box of chocolate speech. Yeah. You never know where you <laughs> yeah. want to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Uh, where are we going now? Where are we? Uh, who, who Ryerson. Is who was the person who interviewed you? Right. That's what I was going to ask. Okay. Uh, so for sport media, it was Dr. Forrester. Uh, and, you know, I thought it went okay. And then at the end, she's like, don't worry, you're doing fine. And this interview doesn't mean anything anyways, which I thought it was no. like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. And then for my media production interview, I had oh, Mr. in Berlin. And he just oh. asked me about basketball the whole time in which i gave a very bad raptors are making the finals prediction because this was 2018 when people had hope for a team that really wasn't that good but yeah he he seemed to like me so i'm like all right i i probably got in or at least i got into one of them and then yeah i was okay Hmm. wow that's pretty so how was your confidence level coming out of both of those interviews then uh it was it was probably it was it was pretty high uh, you know, just because I felt like even with like Dr. Forrester saying the interview doesn't mean anything anyways, it's like, okay, so then I guess my other stuff must have been good enough anyways. So, and then right, the interviews, okay. I didn't think the interviews went bad and they clearly didn't go that negative, uh, being that I got in. So yeah, I felt pretty confident. What did you wear to your interviews? Oh, I was um I wasn't quite a suit guy, but I was like a dad going to work guy, if you know what I mean. So the golf like a, shirt tucked into the khaki pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like loafers. Yeah, five o'clock shadow. Uh yeah, that's what I was working with at the time. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So I guess we can dive into more of your Ryerson stuff after the break because we've been talking for a while already. Um, but let's wrap up talking about Ryerson and how you found the program so far. So we like asking this question each time. What has been your favorite class at Ryerson in sport media or can be outside of sport media just in general? Um, second year TV lab, I think. You probably get that answer a lot. But just I liked the, uh, the you have something, you have a task, now do it. And I like kind of just seeing things come together, the different roles I got to try. I was a, 
I was talent a couple times. I was producer and just kind of finding the stuff that I enjoyed and the stuff that I felt I could, you know, succeed at. And I felt that was good for my sport media development because it kind of led me in a direction where I more knew what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Like I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be a live production guy or at least not behind the, the camera, but I like producing stuff. And that's one of the things that we kind of got to do in that class. I really like producing stuff. And I, I also kind of learned, I'm not the typical talent guy where I'm like, hello and welcome. And now watch these highlights. It's just something that I kind of find mind melting for me personally, for other people, maybe they have a different opinion of it. But, but yeah, I felt if I need to do talent, it would need to be kind of something a bit more casual uh, a bit more autonomous almost and production. I, I really like the aspect of being able to craft my own thing. So what is your dream job in sport media then or dream jobs if you have multiple of them? Uh, yeah. Uh, as you guys, as I've said already, I'm big into stand up uh, ever since I was, I was a kid. So I would like to see how far that could go while at the same time pursuing what I want in sport media. And that would be to produce online shows, hopefully to more people. Uh, and on top of that, uh, I have, you've probably seen, I've done this thing called the Full Court Press. Yep. Uh, if I could expand that, which I don't think is completely out of the realm, just because I like the stuff we're doing, I think that that could be real interesting. So um, I guess, you know, just creating podcasts and producing online shows. That's where I want to, that's what I want to do. And um, that probably will end up being a bit more independent. I'm not necessarily sure how long I'd want to stay at a giant sport media corporation. But uh, yeah, that's the stuff in this realm that I'd like to do. Yeah, the full court press stuff. I find that stuff really interesting and could be really cool to sort of expand to different sports. Like I know uh, True Jordy, he's a British YouTuber. Um, oh, I was trying to remember the name of his soccer. Well, they call it football. Um, but his soccer show where they basically do that for Premier League games every weekend. And that's very, very popular. Um, but I just can't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, but I think doing that for like hockey would be great or even sure. soc other soccer, or, uh, baseball. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. And quite honestly, like I'm a basketball guy, which is why I started in that sport, but it's probably the worst sport to do something like that just because there's a lot happening all the time. So baseball, you have a lot more breathing room. And uh, football, you have a lot more breathing room. And the other football, you still have a lot more breathing room. <laughs> but basketball, you got to stay on top of things. But I feel like because, you know, I, uh, I know people in, who want to pursue sport media. I know people who want to pursue comedy. I was thinking in the future, it'd be pretty cool to do, say, a live full court press with an audience just for that live atmosphere if the world ever comes back to normal. Uh, and just watching the game together and mending my two passions in a way that's uh, that's entertaining and hopefully informative. Well, we've now found Seth's practicum for next year. Um, but Once again, assuming that this virus is dead and that yes. we can go places uh, yeah. freely. That's a very, very big assumption. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we'll dive into all the full court press, crunch time, your stuff with Pelican degree a bit more. Uh, Basket case, the Instagram account, which the name I love, Hoop and Instalytics, um, all your comedy work and everything like that, because 
all that stuff is very interesting to me. And I've tried my hand at comedy before and it has not gone well. So it'll be interesting to hear someone who's actually been successful at it. Well, thank um, you. But we'll take a quick break because our Zoom call is about to end. And we'll be right back to talk everything Seth has done outside, kind of, of Ryerson. All right. And we are back to talk everything Seth has done, which is numerous, numerous projects, podcasts, sites he's written for. Um, so I'm just going to go down in order of the stuff that I have found and we'll talk about it because he's done too much that I can't actually order it. And I did this at midnight last night after writing an article for the website I write for because I needed to do my monthly article. Um, but that's beside the point. Let's start with the one thing that I had at the very top, which oddly enough, your name isn't actually linked to, uh-huh. which you should probably do. Crunch time. Hmm. So crunch time, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, we talked about this with Drew Frank in our episode we did at the, pretty much the very beginning of our interviews. Uh, he was pretty early on. Um, but it's basically, he has four people come on. They give their opinion on one question. So what would be an example of a question, Seth? What Oof. is going to be the best series in the NBA's first round? There you go. He just there pulled up go. the IG. What will be the best storyline when sports return? What is a better name for Seattle Kraken? There's no better name for Seattle Kraken. Dude, you're like, are you serious? Did you just say that? Dude, I like the it's name. so good. It's terrible, it's so man. so good. <laughs> crack is in the name. Their name involves crack. Think no. about that. Okay, but think about the name. No. The they have nickname. 100% more crack than every other team in the NHL. <laughs> Uh, what would you call their stadium then? Uh, I, I, how, <laughs> how vulgar should I get? Well, let me, let me rephrase that. What do you think that people are calling their stadium now? The ass crack? No. <laughs> the crack house. Okay. That's, that's similarly bad. It's like Cream City or Sac Town in the NBA. Yeah. yeah. I really don't understand how teams do that and just don't think of the incredibly disgusting way that fans and human beings think but whatever let's talk crunch time um to continue on he has the four people take a make an opinion about whatever the question is so is the what would be a better name than seattle kraken and each person comes up with a different name and they give their opinion and why they think that this would be the case one minute rant one minute one minute yes you got one minute aiden's been on it uh, who I hope is to my left or up or right or down. Um, Aiden's been on it and I've been on it and Seth created. So I want to know a bit about how crunch time came about when you came up with the idea, just sort of the entire creation process of something that became fairly popular in our program. Well, uh, thank you for that. Uh, it came about just, it was the beginning of quarantine and I, I was trying to get into my own head uh, about a, what is something that could, you know, be optimized by social media? Uh, B, what's something that we could each create from our own homes? And I want to get people involved in the program just because I felt like, and I still feel like, that's probably how you get the most reach, being that there's no name in our program, right? There's no one who just everyone draws stuff from and then he kind of trickles it down to everyone else. There's no, you know, person in our program like that. So I thought just getting as many people from our program involved could help it spread. I thought uh, having the one-minute answers, that would be great for social media. 
having a 10 minute YouTube show. Uh, YouTube wants content around 10 minutes anyways. Uh, and I want to do something we could each do from our own homes because of quarantine. And I want to do something where we didn't need to depend on a Zoom call or a Discord call just because my internet at that time uh, was very bad. It's still kind of bad. So if I cut out on you at any point, I apologize. Uh, so I didn't want to depend that much on the internet. So that's kind of how it came about. And of yeah, course- He cut out a little bit earlier, which we'll, we'll have a quick little cut scene there, uh, which a little bit of an explanation for what happened in that situation. But mm. uh, talk to us a bit about how everything sort of happened, what working with Drew and then Maddie was like, what people's sort of reception of it was. What was that entire situation like for you? All right, so I had this idea. Originally, the idea was for uh, the NBA. And I first went to uh, my buddy, and he's in our program now, Levinson. Uh, as I've mentioned to you off camera, his interest in sport media is kind of waned. So he's like, nah. So I'm like, okay, there's not really, let's be honest, there's not much of a reach for basketball compared to just sports in general in our program. So I'm like, okay, probably wouldn't have grown that much anyways. Basketball is just something that I like the most, which is what I came from. It. So then I thought, okay, I'm going to make this idea all sports. And then I came to Drew Frank. He's been a friend of mine. I think he said, I listened to part of your pod. So I think he said that we played Richmond Hill Phoenix baseball together in our, in our youth. So I knew from that, and he is someone who, like I'd say, is just one of the most ambitious, creative, capable, and technically savvy people in our program. So I knew if I brought it to him and he liked the idea, it must, must at least be a, an idea that's not half bad. So he said he'd like to get involved with that. So I kind of thought of just how I wanted things to look, how I wanted the show to be formatted. I made a rundown, made a schedule, just really tried to do that producer side of it. And he was awesome with the tech stuff. And he's also a guy who's produced a bunch of stuff. So he had some tips for me, which was very important. Yeah, he is insane at everything. Uh, he's helped mm -hmm. you out with other projects, which we'll dive into in a second. But I want to sort of get your thoughts on where you think crunch time could go, where it will go, what you think the success level of it was. Just sort of that, I, like the future of crunch time and how successful you thought it was. That's, it's kind of a difficult question and I'll explain why. Uh, I, the end goal for that show, if it ever reaches that, or if it ever reaches this, it would, I think it'd be really good on one of these bigger social media sport sites, uh, whatever that means, just because I think it's, it's pretty good quality digital content. You can involve personalities of all kind, which I also like where it's, you have a sport media person, you could have kids from our program, you could have anyone who knows anything about sport on, they will give a refreshing take. And because, you know, they have some freedom, they could do it in a creative way. So we've had guys like, you know, your, yours, which were very good and very direct and very succinct and professional. And then we had Jai who wore like a fur coat and rode a hoverboard. And I just like the dichotomy of that. Uh, and so I think that would be the end goal. We're, we're not doing it right now we might bring it back at the uh, start of the summer. And yeah, Maddie is now producing. Uh, Drew told me she's a great, or sorry, not producing, editing. Drew told me she's a great editor. She has been once she took over for Drew. So if it's okay with her, I'm looking to get that going again in the summer. And I, I liked in terms of our program, how people in our program seemed passionate about it. I like because, you know, you needed votes to win an episode. 
that they were more than happy to share it uh, on their Instagram and Twitter uh, and occasionally Facebook, even though mostly it boomers use that. So uh, they got some votes through that and that just brought more traffic to our pages. Yeah. Uh, in the future though, yeah, I would just, I, I got to take um, a better, I got to get better at reaching out to people. And I think if, if, if you ask 8 billion big sport media names, one of them is bound to want to get involved just, you know, because we're upstarters or whatever, and they want to help us out. So I got to get better at reaching out to people. And I think that if we do that again, during the summer, I would try to incorporate kids from our program and kids who want to get into sport media in general, and hopefully get some bigger names attached as well. Yeah, that, that would be sick. Like, imagine you get like a host from SportsCenter or something. Mm-hmm. And in order to win, they got to share their, they got to put it on their story or something. So they put it on their story and then it reaches all the people that they work with, et cetera. So it just yeah, gets your if, name out there even more. So, yeah. Even if those episodes are just a one-off, because like if they do work for, you know, Sportsnet or TSN <laughs> or ESPN, et cetera, I'm not sure if they'd want they'd to want make, to come back again. <laughs> yeah. Like 8 billion times. Like, no, this is what's yeah. most important about me. This thing that pays me nothing. But yeah. Even yeah. if they did it once, that would be awesome. Right, uh, and right. I don't think that's out of the norm. I listened to a podcast that blew up because Kevin Arnovitz was on it, uh, who's a writer for ESPN, an NBA writer for ESPN. And that's how I found it. And those were just two people who, um, you know, who just got into it for fun. So yeah, I, I don't see why we couldn't get a bigger name on it as well. I just got to actually reach out, which isn't my strong suit. Yeah, you got to use those former Ryerson Sport Media connections. Uh, maybe mm. start with like a Dan Berlin, uh, who uh-huh. you mentioned interview. Um, yeah. He does stuff for, I think it's CTV or City TV. I think it's CTV. I think it's CTV. CTV. Shout yeah. out to Dan. He does some football. Uh, I don't know if he's still doing it. Maybe. Not sure. I'd assume. I'm not really sure. Um, or even look at maybe Laurel Walzak, who isn't necessarily a sport media personality, but she's very involved in that industry or uh, Dan Robson. Uh, yeah. He was a prof last semester, you know? We have lots of connections. this semester, actually. Oh, really? In yeah. which course? Uh, RTA 850, which is a long-form sport writing. It's a good ah, course. Cool. Nice. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity there with crunch time. And yeah. it's a really interesting concept that, I like uh, personally, and if you ever need any help with it, I'm sure Aiden and I are both willing. Hundred uh, percent, yeah. To That's help awesome. out with Thanks. everything, I say willing. We'd love to help out with it if you need help. Um, For sure, because it's a sick idea. And thank you. Another sick idea is the full court press, which you've also done with Drew Frank, and he's taken the technical side of it. So I do want to get into the technical side of it in a second. But first, what has that idea been like? How do you sort of come up with that? when did you sort of start developing the belief that this might work and that this might be a good concept? Um, basically I, I'm going to be honest. I don't really like a lot of traditional sport media. I think specifically with play by play and color commentary, find a lot of that dry and oftentimes it's not even as informative as it could be. Uh, and I saw some alternative streams where they did get a lot more informative and I really like those. One that I'd point to is uh, Nate Duncan's uh, NBA stream. Uh, He does a really good one with the athletic writer, Danny LaRue, and they really get into the advanced statistic nitty gritty. Uh, And on the 
more entertaining comedic side, I also thought that there was something lacking because just because you, you know, you're attached to an ESPN or a TNT or in Canada, sports or a TSN, you can't get into Lou Williams uh, going to the strip club to get chicken wings. You can't, you know, ask questions such as who's the thickest guy in the game. Uh, and, and those were Gotta questions that I'm very interested in. And, and that's why I wanted, I wanted to bring the lowbrow of admittedly weird jokes and weird questions, as well as sort of the more informational side of it. And I thought that live streaming NBA, NBA games through Twitch would be a good way to do that. And I got Drew because with uh, VJN, Virtual Jays Network, he had some experience with Twitch. And uh, that probably saved me a couple bumps along the way. Yeah, he's unbelievably talented in that. And I'm going to ask mm-hmm. you about the more technical stuff in a second. Uh, also to help with this show, because we just got picked up by Spirit Live. So we're yeah, congrats. unfortunately going to be under an hour time constraint. Um, yeah. But what we're thinking of doing, what was suggested to us by Spirit Live was to stream the show on either YouTube or Twitch. And then once we finished our radio portion, just say, go and check out our stream. And we'll potentially look into doing that. But I want to dive into more of that idea because I think it's really interesting. You know, the True Jordy in the UK does it with the kickoff, which is a soccer version of it. Have you thought about expanding it to other sports? And I also, I want to know what you think makes it so unique and such a special idea and creative idea where people actually are drawn to watch it on Twitch. Uh, okay, so why I think people should be drawn to it is because, I mean, most people who go on, they know what they're talking about analytically, but just because, you know, I allow them to loosen up, uh, they, they're not going to be this uptight the whole time, which, like I said, I don't like about a lot of uh, sports commentary, period. I think your show also does a great job at that, just because you seem genuinely interested in the people you talk to. And that's what I like. It could come in many forms, but I like being genuinely interested in something and acting like it uh, mm-hmm. instead of having this sort of false, very transparent non-passion towards something or, you know, just doing what some commentators do where they're like, oh, look at that. And, you know, their analysis is basically that deep. So, yeah, I think it's both informational and entertaining, which is why. Uh, the people that we have gone to watch it have enjoyed it. And uh, in terms of where I would want to expand it, other sports would be awesome. Uh, I would need other people to host those, but I'm certainly not against it. Uh, And I was thinking about just, you know, trying to bundle a bunch of sport media things I'm interested into one, because then that should bring more social media traffic, which should expand things. uh, A lot. So yeah, other sports I would be interesting, interested in as long as the host also can both get to the analytical and the uh, humorous stuff of it all. And they, you know, can sort of throw it to people in a Mm -hmm. way that, that everyone sort of has a word in the, in the show. And like I said, uh, I don't want this to keep going through discord, which we've been calling on and just having people in boxes just because like, that's how people are disconnected. So when the world comes back to how it was, like I said, I'd love to do it live with everyone in the same place. If we 
are fortunate enough to at some point get an audience that I think would add another dimension to it. And coming oh, yeah. from comedy, I think that that's, that's been great. And you see that with comedy podcasts. Uh, there are a couple I listen to with uh, explicit names, so I'm not going to say those, but uh, Kill Tony, for example. Uh, the live audience for that show really brings an extra dimension to uh, how, you know, it, it brings an excitement to every moment. And the excitement that are, is also in sports would just further lend to that. So I think uh, making it live and expanding to other sports and bundling it with other sport media things that I do, I think that that's probably where I want to go next. Yeah, I think I've... I think the sport broadcasting industry is kind of like transitioning slowly into a more comedic, laid back, more like entertaining kind of atmosphere for the fans. Like I look at like your show, what you're doing, even Crunch Time was a good example of that. And then like Tim and Sid, Tim and Sid Steve Tim Dangle. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys listen to uh, Spit and Chicklets, um, Biz yeah. Nasty and, uh, and Ryan Whitney. Like Puck they're, Soup, their podcast. Yeah, like Barstool as a whole, like, it, I think it's transitioning into that and like it's actually really entertaining to watch because these guys have been in the game. They know everything about the sport, but they also add that comedic vibe to it. So I think what you're doing right now, like I could see it like four people just sitting on a couch in front of, of a TV screen, just laid back, legs crossed, just watching the game, having fun. I think that's like the environment that you are trying to get with this show. Yeah, for sure. And that would be you know, ideal, especially if there was an audience, just because like I said, the live aspect and the uh, just having people there to kind of imitate the noise that would come from uh, an arena, just in, you know, that setting, I think that that would also be pretty interesting. And like I said, because I, I do comedy, because I, I do the sport media stuff. If I could have say like a comedian on as well as a former player, and someone in the business in the sport media business i think just that variety could lend to a a pretty solid discourse and probably some good content because it's all about the content yeah uh let's dive into your comedy stuff now actually all right Uh, because you told the story uh earlier in the show that you (laughs) drove for four hours to do a seven minute set that's Um, dedication right there yeah that's just look uh if you want to do comedy and you know, you said I'm successful, which I just thought was hilarious. Like I literally get paid nothing. I've spent more money on gas and parking doing comedy than anything I've made back. But yeah, it's just, you need to be crazy. Like I am crazy just to do that. Just to think, yeah, I'll get up for seven minutes and it'll be worth it. Even if it doesn't go, imagine if it went, imagine if I bombed, right. And people were booing, booing me and throwing stuff at, at me and then after the show they like yelled at me just then needing to try two hours back near tears have so you yeah, ever you gotta, seen that happen someone mess up so badly and someone starts throwing food at them yeah there was one show i did and it was just a bad setup because like stage was here and it was in a bar so there was a bar this way so people were looking at the bar when they should have been looking at the stage there was a couple in a full argument the comedian was like because he couldn't do a set because they were that loud. He was just talking to them. And then the dude started throwing ice cubes at him. Oh, yikes. Mm-hmm. Ice cubes. Oh, that's brutal. Wow. Yeah, that's rough. So when did you get into doing comedy? Uh, similar to sport media. I, I got into it when I was real young. Probably, 
first three specials I've ever watched. Uh, Delirious Eddie Murphy, Killing Them Softly, Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K. Live at the Beacon Theater. And that really just got me deep into the world of comedy where, you know, I love everyone from, I don't know, Kathleen Madigan, Norm MacDonald, uh, Mike Vecchione, just, just all across the uh, comedy scape. And I, I kind of studied it to a similar way in which one would study sports. And then when I was 16, I kind of dipped my toe into it. And now when I was 19, that's when I, I did an open mic at Yuck Yucks. And then I'm like, all right, this is the thing I do. I talked to a comedian after the show and he's like, no, no, this should be a thing you do. You should take this seriously. You should treat this as if it's a career. And since then, you know, I've been writing a bunch in the pandemic. I've still been going up as much as I can. And don't worry, it's in a safe way. So for, you know, people who might be mad at that. But yeah, I try to go up a few times a week in the pandemic. Hopefully when the pandemic ends, I could go up way more than that. And uh, yeah, just kind of polishing it because, you know, I like, I like the idea of thinking about something, writing it down and doing it that night. And uh, yeah, I like the, I like the, uh, the quickness of that, the turnaround of that, which I don't think people get in a lot of other forms of art. Do you think you could pull off being a comedian, like as a career? I would eventually? love that. That would be the dream. Have you considered like, I don't know, auditioning for like America's Got Talent, something like that? Okay. So the people who do that, they get asked. They get asked by specifically comedians. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the goal for me. It's just kind of working up the uh, comedy club ladder to the point where, you know, they put me up on dates and stuff like that. So how do you think this has helped you with your sport media career? I think I just come at it from a different place because like I'm very ambitious for sport media, but for me, it's not about getting in with a, sport media company it's about trying to do my own thing and just if i get enough things on my own uh through comedy or through these shows i'm doing online then hopefully it should be able to come together in a realistic way so i think it's just it's kind of calmed me down because now sport media isn't my entire life it's an enormous part of my life but it's not my entire life so if something goes wrong like oh i got comedy and it doesn't make me money like i said but it's something that fulfills me very greatly. So I'm happy that I have two things that I enjoy and that fulfill me when I do them. Would you say it's almost like an escape for you then? (sighs) Kind of. And I got to say, when you do well and you get off stage, it's better than any feeling I've ever had. Like period. That's great then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really good. How many shows do you think you've done? Probably at this point, like 50 wow uh-huh. and you're doing like seven 10 minute sets each time um when i do like list shows where you literally just write your name on a list that's typically to do new stuff and in that case i do five but i've done as many minutes as 15 at a time that's pretty good huh. thank you and where can people find you to do this where you are doing this comedy <sighs> am i promoting my dates now yeah go yeah, ahead why not? promote your dates um in terms of shows that aren't that are good that people should go to i got one oshawa october 6th i got a bunch of open mics in the meantime i got one on a patio uh i think it's october 8th i got november 1st at comedy bar which is a good venue uh but yeah i just got a bunch of open mics and 
there'll be some Hamilton ones thrown in there. So a few more drives for me on top of that. And then, yeah, some open mics, but you know, those are, those are just for me trying my new stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm in Scarborough a lot of Saturdays. <laughs> How often so do you uh, start writing new content for your skits? Jeez, you just called it a skit. Ugh. Or what is it? What is it? Uh, just bits. I write bit, almost bits. every okay. day. I write almost every day. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Huh. Wow. So where can people keep track of where you're doing comedy, all your work and stuff like that? Uh, I like to kind of have that. It's disjointed at the moment. I'm going to create a website for myself at some point for that reason. Okay. But yeah, it's, it's pretty disjointed. I'm starting to post stuff more on IG in terms of where I'll be comedically but let's be honest like no one's going to come to that <laughs> it's mm. you're going to be hard pressed i think to find someone to come in the middle of the pandemic uh, yeah but maybe once everything's sort of calmed down if you do some stuff in downtown toronto you might get some of us sport media people uh, to show up why don't you do um, a twitch stream of it do a twitch stream. stream that's going to be so annoying to set up Four sets, like you got to chill. Get, get Drew, get Drew to help eight. you out with it. Yeah, he'd love to accompany me to my random dates <laughs> in the GTA and sometimes Hamilton. He'd be yeah. thrilled. Yeah, Drew's got a lot on, on his plate already. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Drew is great. Uh, he's yeah. almost someone we might have to have on twice with everything he does. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, a he's a beast for sure. Yeah, yep. let's quickly fire through all the stuff you have left because we have six minutes and I don't think we necessarily need to talk about it all because it's just sort of getting it over with. Uh, Pelican's degree, you already mentioned that. You have a yeah. Medium website, which we'll link down below. Fadeaway World, you've already mentioned. Uh, Armchair Media Network, you only have five articles on there. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, I wrote for them for a bit. Uh, I just didn't have time, so I stopped. Yeah. Uh, you have a YouTube channel, but we don't need to talk about that. Because uh, there's like, I think, three videos on there. Um, Boosh, no clue. Boosh Sports? I have no idea what that is. So I was worried that, that something like that might come up. I, I don't know what that is. I think it was a blog you used to run when you were like 17. Um, Maybe. <laughs> who who knows? knows? We'll also link that down below. It may not even be his. You might not need a lot of these links, like straight yeah. up. Uh, hoop Instalytics. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up because it's a amazing name and I love it. Um, hey, thanks. I'll sell and, it to anyone for $25 if they want it. Just, <laughs> yeah. Just PayPal me 25 and it's yours. Yeah. And we'll wrap up with your two. We'll get into your final show, um, that you're still doing with Drew after a break, but right. basket basket case and three on five are two shows that you've done. Mm-hmm. What was that like working with Spirit Live? And I'll give you like 30 seconds to answer that. Spirit Live's been good. They've liked my ideas. Uh, and yeah, I had three on five with that. That was like, basically me and Bowen would have a guest on and they'd argue five basketball topics and the first to win three wins. Uh, and then the basket case, it's the one I did with Noah. Uh, by the way, three on five's dead. Uh, basket case, as I mentioned, uh, is in a coma. And it was just, you know, us shooting crap about the NBA. And that was real fun. And we were starting to have guests on. We had Milan on, and that was a great episode. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all good. And uh, I got a show, uh, Bubble Ball, I do with Matthew Winnick. That might be on Spirit Live. Uh, it's a podcast, and it's, we dive deep into the NBA. And then I got uh, Outside Baseball, as you said, 
do you want to bring that up after the break or should I talk? Yeah, about we'll it? talk outside baseball right. in a second. I'm going to ask you one more question about bubble ball uh, because you started this in July mm-hmm. and I'm going to assume what you sort of did with it is you followed the NBA bubble um, yep. and you mentioned you might continue it with Spirit Live uh, throughout. So everyone can check that out as well. I want to know, do you plan to continue it after the bubble has finished? Yep. Then I got to change the name, right? Yeah. So I got to create a new logo. Yeah, this was a very short-term name. I'm going to be honest here. So <laughs> it might be rebranded, perhaps uh, BBU, Bubble Ball Universe. Who knows? Uh, something along those lines. And uh, someone's trying to get into my room. I just waved him off. I apologize for that. <laughs> but, but Yeah, but yeah, uh, I'm going to need to change the name. If you have any suggestions for me, leave them in the comments below. We are awful at Pan- making names. So. Pandemic <laughs> Maybe you'll call it the Basketball Kraken. PB. PBB. It's a great Pandemic name. Pandemic Basketball. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, well, <laughs> that was so bad. Um, hey, that, that, that should be on a crunch time. You should do a crunch time episode. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good way to revive merging crunch my, time. Uh, mm-hmm. Merging my sport media ventures. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you have any name suggestions, leave them in the comments down below, please. Um, we will check them out, I'm sure. But we'll be back after a quick little break to talk his podcast he's doing with Drew Frank about baseball because it is a quite an interesting topic and I believe Drew Frank previewed it on our episode. So we'll be right back. All right, and we are back to discuss outside baseball. Drew had, I believe it was on the episode, it might have been after, uh, like outside of recording, but he'd teased that he was going to start something with you around this concept. And I love the description. Uh, so I'm just going to read it out because I think it summarizes the podcast perfectly. So I don't know which one of you did it, but massive props. Basically, Outside Baseball is a podcast where MLB fanatic Drew Frank tries to catch his friend Seth Nefsky up on the MLB after Seth stopped paying attention to the league in 2016. Hilarity ensues. And with your personality, I am sure hilarity did ensue. Um, Thank you, sir. But how did this come about? How do you think this has worked as a concept? Has the podcast gone? All that stuff. All right. So back when the world was normal, uh, I realized that since 2016, there had been a big baseball shaped hole in my life. So I'm like, all right, this summer, because there is no basketball, I can watch baseball and I could pay, I could try to watch it as much as I used to watch it and pay attention and, and scroll through fan graph sheets and, and baseball reference and baseball prospectus and, you know, really polish up my baseball opinions. And who better to help me do that than Mr. Drew Frank, who probably, you know, is the biggest baseball fan in our entire program and the guy who I've known for a while. So he knows, you know, my, uh, my tendencies. So yeah, hilarity doesn't sue on the podcast. Also a lot of awkward silence ensues if we're being perfectly honest, but it's all <laughs> worth it. It's a good listen, especially at double speed. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> So we've, we've gone into the analytical stuff where basically uh, we had a couple episodes. One of them was, uh, where are the 2016 war leaders now? So we took the 10 best war uh, position players and pitchers of 2016, because that was the last time I paid attention. Uh, and we tracked their progression to uh, 2019, because that's uh, 2020 had yet to start to see just kind of where they are. Oh, Corey Kluber has been dead, essentially, for the past two years. Wow, he used to be the, one of the best pitchers in baseball, for example. So, yeah, just 
just stuff like that. Uh, and we did another episode where it was a lot goofier than that. We had Jackson Farrow on and we pitched him baseball documentaries. And we, we called him super fan Jackson Farrow because for whatever reason, he tweeted our show, our podcast, like how much he enjoyed outside baseball. And I don't even think I promoted it yet. So he must've gone real deep uh, to search for our show. And yeah, we had him on, we pitched him baseball documentaries and that was because uh, Last Dance just came out and um, they, they said, and I think both of these documentaries have also come out as well, but they were going to do a McGuire Sosa doc ESPN. They were also going to do a doc holiday doc, or mm. maybe that one wasn't ESPN, but yeah, a bunch of docs were coming out. So we pitched uh, a docu-series, a documentary, and then one, it could be the last thing. It could be any nonfiction type of show or um, a bio show that, you know, had reenactments and stuff like that. So that was also an interesting episode. Our last episode, we're going to record tomorrow, but our last, uh, sorry, second last episode, uh, we, because I, I like math, I'm not good at it, but my brother is a big math guy. My older brother uh, just graduated in Waterloo Math, so he helped me out with that. Uh, and we tracked how predictive uh, 2019 was to 2020 compared to 2018 to 2019 because of the shortened season. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, with my brother's help, we kind of went through uh, the crap show that was this year. Huh. That's a really interesting concept. I like it. Thank you. And it's especially a good concept. In a, it's funny too. Thank you. Especially in a sport like baseball, which has been, uh, let's just say not in a brilliant position, uh, fan demographic wise, uh, to sort of see and see the transition of somebody who wasn't necessarily following the league for a few years, come back and get introduced to it by someone who really knows what they're talking about. I think Mm -hmm. it's a really cool concept. Um, So so would you say that's like doing this show now has actually helped you, helped you get back into what's going on in baseball or is it just like primarily for the show or do you actually feel like you've learned something? I learned a lot about baseball, still not as much as I would have liked just because, uh, because of summer basketball and, you know, everything else it's, I haven't watched as much baseball as I would like to, but I certainly know more than when I started the podcast and hopefully when schedules or baseball and basketball schedules are back to normal, if that ever happens, then I'll be even more knowledgeable next year. If the podcast continues. Hmm. Well, speaking of baseball, Mm-hmm. Let's talk Ooh. sports. Oh, what a transition. <laughs> we uh, are, I think we're all Jays fans here, correct, Seth? Yes, I am from uh, a suburb of Toronto. Therefore, I am a Jays fan. <laughs> You're obligated. Well, that is, mm. is that the case in basketball? Um, I'm a Raps fan too, but uh, okay. like I'm not a fan of, like I'm a fan of both teams, but if they lose, I'm not going to like cry in the bath, if you know what I mean. I'm Who, just going to be like, eh, okay, we're okay. Who's, Who's a fan of the Charlotte Hornets in our program? Yes. Why is it? Okay. You're the second person to say that like it's me. And Joseph asked me that before. It's John because he's from North Carolina. John, right, right. I am from Thornhill. No, because we we had Joseph on last week, right? When did he Uh, ask you that, by the way? He asked me that. uh, We were going to do a full court press uh, last Thursday. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Because of the Wi-Fi. But yeah, he asked me that. Yeah, because I don't know if you were listening to our last episode, but we had Joseph on and we were discussing who the Charlotte Hornet fan is, and we thought it was you. No, John. We also said John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am from Thornhill. Uh, It's between Vaughn and Markham. 
Hey, Zach Finch is from Toronto, and he's a Montreal Canadiens fan. Yeah, but that's so, just because he's that's dumb. That's kidding, Zach. You're not dumb. <laughs> that's a weird thing to... Zach, to you like. heard it here first. Seth Metzke thinks you're dumb. I don't think you're dumb, but you are from Oakville, I believe, and therefore you should be a Leafs fan. Okay. No, no, I'm yeah, not I, saying... I, th- I thought you were going to say I'm not saying bad. dumb people live in Oakville. <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying geographically, you should be a Leafs fan. That was nothing bad about Oakville. Don't clip that. Yeah. Is it... Geographically, is Buffalo closer to Oakville or is Toronto? I think Toronto. Toronto's a lot closer to Oakville. Could be wrong, but Toronto. I think it's like what a two or three hour drive to Buffalo. Here's what and, it is. Yeah, exactly. It's I'm like terrible ge- geographically, but it would be like it's like Toronto, an hour. And, Oakville, like, Buffalo, almost. I think it's like an hour and a half to Niagara Falls. And Oakville's technically in the GTA, so I think my point yeah, still stands. Yeah, that makes no sense to me, by the way. Like the, I don't get that. Yeah, like yeah, the Kingston people, you could do whatever you want. You could go Montreal, you could go Ottawa, you could go Toronto, and I'll accept it. But the Oakville people, come on. Toronto all the way. What are you doing? Toronto or Buffalo, but nah, Toronto. Not Buffalo, Toronto. Not Buffalo. Stick all within right. the border. <laughs> Now that we've completely been sidetracked from baseball, let's, let's talk, talk about baseball. So Buffalo, sorry. where the Jays have been playing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, there that you go. Brilliant transition, Aiden. Wow. Brilliant. I'm so sorry. Let's yeah. talk the Buffalo Blue Jays, who are probably about to get eliminated before this podcast has finished recording. Um, it's four. I think first pitch is four o'clock, and it's currently two thirty-four on Wednesday. And you think they're going to get eliminated before the game starts? Uh, I think they're going to be eliminated saying? before this podcast goes up. Oh, okay. Uh, because yeah. if you didn't know, Maybe. it takes quite a while to actually get this podcast up because uploading times. YouTube. YouTube. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they are somehow in the playoffs. Uh, they're doing it without Ken Giles because he had Tom and John, but they got Nate person back. So that's a big plus. What is this entire Jay situation? Do you? How did they get here? Uh, I'm going to ask both of you because I don't follow baseball. Um, how did they get here? Do they stand a chance at winning this series, even though they're down a game? Okay. They Take got here because of the dumbest playoff format of any sport, I think. Because baseball is already a random sport. So that's why you like the 10-team format. Because then you for sure know that one of the 10 best teams is going to win. But, like, I, I searched some mathing. And the Dodgers are most likely to win. But it's, like, a 7% chance. Just because the amount of teams in the playoffs and the randomness of baseball. So with that randomness, would it be crazy if the Jays won the next two and therefore the series? No. But... I still think it leans Rays, especially because they're up a game to none, just for that math alone. And they are the better team, so they will, in my opinion, more likely win the series. Yeah. I mean, I agree with Seth that, like, the Jays obviously made the playoffs just because of this format. Like, but it also doesn't mean that they're not a good team, though. And, like, throughout an 162-game season, they would still be competing for a wild-card spot. And who knows, playing another 60 games – they could have gotten better over those games. They maybe could have caught the Yankees. They were like, what, a game back of the New York Yankees? Yeah, but, like, they had the injury concerns. And, like, I think the Yankees are just the objectively better team. And maybe no, that's for sure. I agree. to say. No, no, no. I agree with you on paper and, like, also, like, playing-wise. The Yankees are the better team. But I wouldn't count out the Jays yet, especially in this series. Like, 
I don't know if you guys watched last night's game, but it was pretty close. It was 3-1. They took out Matt Shoemaker after three innings. He only pitched 35 pitches. And I don't know if he was on a pitch count. He probably was. I've never heard of a pitch count that low, though. 35 pitches. That's ridiculous. Um, He didn't give up a run at that point. It was a 0-0 game. They shouldn't have taken him out. As soon as they take him out, Robbie Ray comes in, gives up a leadoff triple. Then he throws a wild pitch. 1-0 Rays. Uh, The Rays get another home run later on in the game. A.J. Cole comes in, gives that up. Bichette with a nice sacrifice fly to, to make the game interesting late in the game, but the Jays lose 3-1. But game two today, they got Ryu on the mound against Glass now. This is a game that the Jays should win, and I think they're counting that Ryu would just steal this game for them. I think if you know he goes six innings, then they have a really good shot at winning. Then you hand it over to Pearson. You hand it over to Hatch. You hand it over to... You know, some other guys that they have who have been solid this year. Yamaguchi, you never know. And I think the Jays could win today. But it just comes down to this offense. And last night, their offense was quiet. And Blake Snell doesn't help with that. He's one of the best pitchers in the league. But I think they could really do some damage today against Glass now. And I actually expect them to force, force it to a game three here. And in game three, it's all hands on deck. And you never know what can happen. Um, I think the young guys have been our best players this year, and that's like what we needed. I think Ryu has really carried them. He has an ERA. He had an ERA below 2.7 to end the year. Um, like even if they don't win this series, which I don't think they will, like the future is so bright for this team. Like Seth, you mentioned like injuries and stuff. Like they've gone through a lot just playing in Buffalo in general this team has a really bright future ahead of them. And I don't think management is hesitant anymore to spend money in the off season. So they're going to get a lot better. So um, I don't know. I I do expect them to win tonight. I don't know about game three, but uh, you never know. They've been proving us wrong all year. Look, even, even if they only had the 10 team playoff format and uh, this was a 162 game season, and the Jays played in the fashion in which they're playing now, that would be successful. And I'd compare it to, uh, say, in basketball, to bring it back to that, Brooklyn Nets of 2018-2019. They squeaked into the playoffs. They lost in five to the Sixers. But you started to see, oh, they got a good group of young guys. They got a good coach, which they have since let go for no reason, but whatever. Uh, They have a good culture. And, hey, like you said, uh, Jays are willing to spend or should be willing to spend. So maybe they could get their version of, Katie and Kyrie. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Um, All right. (laughs) Do you have anything you want to add to baseball or should we move on to hockey? I'm just, uh, Marlins are going to win the World Series. Sorry, I know that uh, the hot take's not yet, but uh, no, I don't believe that. But Drew Frank believes that. Ask him about it. You can hear his opinion on that. I have have the Marlins winning the first two rounds in my bracket, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Drew Frank doesn't actually believe that. He just said yeah. something at some point, and then I said he believed that. <laughs> you, you can want find awkward out if that's silences. true on outside baseball. Yeah, I was just about to. <laughs> if you want awkward silences. Yeah. Um, so let's hit hockey because we're going to hit basketball after the break, even though there was some breaking news about a half hour ago, which we'll dive into in a second, surrounding the Toronto Raptors. Um, first, Bobby Ryan was bought out by the Ottawa Senators. Um, 
I don't really understand this move personally. I'm not a huge fan of it. I think he was a good personality on that team and a good veteran. Um, but ultimately, it saved Ottawa physical money. So I guess they're just going to do what they want. But yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, at least he's going to get an opportunity somewhere else, uh, which is always a good thing. But I don't really know if either of you want to add anything to this, but we're going to try to sort of fire through hockey and then leave like one giant zoom call for basketball because Seth is a massive basketball guy. Yeah. Fire through it. I don't need to say anything about that. He's a good player. All right. That's it. <laughs> All right. Jeff Petrie sent a four year, $6.25 million contract extension. Good for the Habs might be a trend. We start seeing with players, uh, them wanting stability. So they're signing like a year out, which will be really interesting to watch as no teams have any money, which You'll notice could be an issue in other teams. Um, Tampa Bay is a team that doesn't have no money, but they have no cap space. So they need to find a team that is willing to take their players. And they just won the Stanley Cup. So yeah, we should mention that. <laughs> yeah, they got a very quick turnaround. Tampa Bay is um, in a tough spot here. <laughs> yeah, well, they are and they aren't. Uh, they got Mikhail Sergachev uh, expiring. They have, I believe it's Sorelli, Ant- Anthony Sorelli as well. So they got some pretty sizable UFA or RFAs to lock up, but we should talk about them can, winning can the I, Stanley Cup. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what the word is, but I won my. I won my fantasy hockey league again this year, back to back, two years, two years in a row, and it was actually it came down to the wire. It came down to the final game of the playoffs, game six. I have Andre Vasilevsky in net. Heading into the game, we were tied for goals against. I was winning by, I think it was 0.2 save percentage, and I was winning by 10 saves. So it was like 6-5 heading, in, heading into the game. And coming into the third period, I needed Vasilevsky to get a shutout or I probably would have lost. So shout out to Andre Vasilevsky for basically winning my, my league for, for me. Um, so I ended up winning 7-4, I believe the matchup was. Almost as big as winning the Stanley Cup, if we're really thinking about it. I'd Let's say, yeah, it's know, on right? the same level. Tampa did. Uh, it took them six games against the Dallas Stars, who lost probably the most heartbreaking Stanley Cup in recent memory because they've been away from family and stuck in the bubble for so long. Um, they were, But just Tampa was the better team, and I think that's all we can really add. Massive props to Dallas for putting up that huge fight. They... What they did was very impressive, and they should keep their heads up. Um, they're also going to have an interesting summer, but I did want to mention, just to cause Leaf fans pain, Luke Shen and Curtis McElhinney are now Stanley Cup champions. So, yay, as well as Steven Stamkos, who almost joined the Leafs. Um, Kevin Shattenkirk has joined the rare club of him, and I think it might have been Brad Richards, who had been bought out by the New York Rangers, and immediately won a cup the year after. So congratulations to him. Uh, Stamkos got the cup first, which I thought was pretty special, uh, but they received the cup as a team. So they all went and surrounded the cup before Bettman handed it to Stamkos, which I liked that that was a really good touch. Uh, when Stamkos got the cup, he did the little skate. He then handed it to Victor Hedman. Hedman, I can't remember who he handed it to after that, but I believe fourth, was Luke Shen. Yay, yay. Which I guess they really like him because he didn't have the biggest impact on the ice, but 
It was a bunch of their defensemen that got it right away. I think it was Hedman who passed it to Coburn. I think Coburn might have passed it to Shattenkirk. Shattenkirk to Shen. Shen to Bogosian. Bogosian to McDonough. It was just all the defensemen. Yeah. It was good to see those guys win it. Uh, it's a lot of good stories on that team. And, and yeah, you mentioned, like, Tampa was clear, clearly the better team. Like, I was saying, like, they are so hungry on pucks, this team, that they're probably the best forechecking team in the league. That um, Yanni Gord, Blake Coleman, and Barclay Goudreau line is so scary to play against. Like, they'll lose the puck, they'll get it back right away. They, they, uh, they kill penalties. Um, Coleman can be on the power play. Gord can be on the power play. They're so good. And obviously, Coleman gets the, uh, the goal to make it 2 nothing in this game um, off a great play by Patrick Maroon to knock the puck down and then Paquette over to Coleman. Like, the depth on this team is so good. And it just pains me as a Leafs fan to see this. Like, the Leafs got to do this. They got to add some depth and they got to add some depth uh, leadership in the bottom six, like Coleman and, and Maroon, you know? Yeah. And I think Maroon could potentially be an offseason target for the Leafs. I'd like sure. him on the Leafs for sure. Oh, yeah. But. They got to find the money to do that. Um, Con Smythe went to Victor Hedman, which we should mention because he had an unreal playoffs. It could have gone to him or Brayden Point. Uh, could have gone to Kucherov too. There were three Kucherov. guys on that team who Vasilevsky. All those guys had incredible playoffs, had incredible finals. Uh, just the entire team was very, very good. Um, I do. I did see this last night, uh, which, or I guess when they won it, that I thought was pretty interesting. They were the team that had to shut down facilities because players and staff tested positive for COVID earlier in the year. So to turn around and go and win the cup following what they had to go through, I think is really special. And I can't wait to see what their parade looks like because apparently they're going to do it by boat. So yeah, they're apparently going to do a boat parade, uh, which hopefully helps with the physical distancing social distancing, all that stuff, but it's Florida. So <laughs> we're probably dreaming on that one. Uh, other hockey news, unless either of you want to add anything to the Stanley Cup finals and the entire bubble. I, I said it. I said it way back when Tampa Bay would win the cup. There you go. I can't remember. I think it might've been Jelani and Rain predicted the Dallas-Tampa final before everything Jelani. started. I know it was Rain. I think it was Jelani. I it was somebody I follow on Twitter. I think it was ah. Uh, Is Jelani also a Stars fan? Because he's a Cowboys fan. He's a Penguins fan. I'm pretty sure. Uh, oh, I think it was Dal. I can't. I might be wrong on that. Uh, if I, I know Rain sorry. definitely got it right. Yes, Rain definitely got it right. He had a very good bracket. Uh, but shout out to those guys who predicted the finals correct. Um, and shout out to the NHL. The thirty-three thousand plus. COVID-19 tests without a single one being positive. They kept a bubble, which massive, massive undertaking. And I don't think they, they necessarily always get the respect that they should. So congrats to the NHL. You did something that's really special. And now they have to look forward to next season, whenever that will happen. But huge respect to them. Uh, other brief hockey news. Henrik Lundqvist is being bought out by the New York Rangers. He ends his 15-year tenure with Rangers. Um, he's still undecided on if he'll still play. Uh, he was posting on social media, Twitter, Instagram today, uh, showing his thanks to the team and teammates, fans, and all that, which it's sad to see 
him leave because he's been like the face of that franchise for basically all of our entire lives. Um, but I think with, uh, it's Shesterkin, correct? Or is that the, yeah, Shesterkin uh, coming Georgiev. up. Gorgiev is a potential backup. It just sort of made sense for them to move on from him as rough as that was with everything that he gave this team. But yeah. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on the, that entire situation? Uh, I don't know anything about hockey. I know that he's a, he was a very good goalie for a long time. And when you said New York goalies, the only other guy that came to mind and buyout, I thought of uh, Mr. Rick DiPietro. Uh, yeah. Was, yeah. My hockey knowledge probably ended like 2008. I just stopped. But yeah, I just looked it up because I knew he had like a weird buyout deal and he's getting paid 1.5 mil every year until 2028, 2029. Yeah. So uh, yeah. shout out to Rick DiPietro and I hope that <laughs> Lungfist's um, buyout is that fruitful, but I don't know anything about the it's, details of that buyout. I think it's two seasons this year and next because he was going to expire either way at the end of the season. And I want to say it's like 6 million ish this year and like a million next year. Uh, but bad. one thing it does allow, I guess, him to do is if he wants to go to a contending team like the Colorado Avalanche and try to win a cup. And I suspect there was a bit more discussion between the Rangers and him than people really understand. And he knew and they knew that he was really going to have a major role on this team. So they likely came to an agreement that we're going to let you go and we want to see if, if you want to try to go win a cup, feel free. If not, you can retire and they'll almost definitely have a role for him within the organization. Uh, but yeah, it just sucks to see his tenure end. And he's not the only Rangers player that's moving on after quite a decent time with the team, Mark Stahl. And a 2021 second was traded to Detroit for future considerations. This was cap dump. Um, gives like I think 5.25 million in cap space to the Rangers for next season. Um, Detroit pick up a second round pick. They don't need the cap space. So why not pick up a second round pick in a stack draft? Uh, so yeah, there are rumors that they might continue to do this and the Red Wings try to pick up more draft capital for this year, but just another trade that happened, uh, another trade that could potentially happen is Line A might be on the move. Uh, Elliot Friedman and a bunch of reporters have sort of been speculating that this might be a possibility. Uh, he's currently looking at the 2C and right-hand defensive issues uh, on Winnipeg, and they potentially see Line A as a solution to get those two players. So we'll see whether or not Patrick Line gets dealt. I saw, I believe, Montreal is a team that people are really pushing for, and... Um, I want to say maybe Buffalo, Carolina as well. There were some pretty serious teams that are potentially looking at this move and we'll see what happens. Uh, do you guys have any sort of thing to add to the last two things I brought up or no? No. <laughs> I think for the Mark Stahl thing, like I think it's, it's good for both teams. Rangers get to shed some cap space. Detroit gets a second round pick as well. And they also get a, you know, a top six defenseman in Mark Stahl who provides leadership to a young team. Yep. Uh, and 
Speaking of Winnipeg, Dustin Bufflin is looking very unlikely that he will play in the NHL again, which is disappointing, but understandable. Uh, I believe Minnesota reached out to him and asked whether or not he'd be willing to play, and it doesn't sound like he will be. Uh, so we'll just – we saw the end of a very, very good player's career, and it's unfortunate the way it ended and the way it had to end, but – you have to look back fondly on him and what he was able to do in the NHL. So hopefully he enjoys life post NHL and with everything that he's probably going to do. Uh, And final little tidbit of NHL news, the New Jersey devils are willing to trade one of their first round picks, but it would have to be a 26 year old player or younger uh, if they're going to make that move. So we'll see whether or not they end up making a trade. Uh, It's going to be, Another situation to watch because they're not in a very good spot, but who knows? Uh, Do you have anything you want to add to hockey before we move on to basketball and use my transition to basketball that I already had prepared? Do we want to talk about Paul McClain at all? Right. That's what I forgot to mention. Paul McClain was hired as an assistant coach for the Toronto Maple Leafs. This completely flew over my head, and it feels like it happened four years ago, but that was Friday. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was formerly the Suns head coach. If you don't know who he is, he's the guy who has the great mu- or had the great mustache and whose doppelganger sat behind him at a Suns game, uh, and that sort of went viral. Uh, he's going to be Toronto's eye in the sky. Uh, as they've called it, so he won't be on the bench. That'll be Hackstall and obviously Malhotra, who they at least hired last week. But what do you think about this move? Do you like it for the Leafs? What are your sort of thoughts on it? I think he's, he's going to be good. You know, I like the idea that he's not on the bench and they have someone else looking up, uh, looking at like all of their operations and like the way that they play on a nightly basis. Uh, Paul McClain's obviously been around the league for a long, long time. Um, he's coached on the Sens, so he must know the Leafs organization, you know, decently well. Um, I think he's going to provide a lot of stuff that they might be lacking. And um, I know that he is, you know, pretty good defensively as well. He has a good defensive mindset, um, which is what the Leafs need. Obviously, they need to be better defensively. Um, I also think the Malholtra signing was good too. I hope Hackstall leaves because I didn't really like him and they bring in someone else. Um, but also, I, I also heard today, like players-wise, Tyson Berry and Cody Cece are like done. They're done, so they're out. So they got to find some better defensemen. And I think that Paul McClain will help Dubis scout. And maybe he has some ideas of what the Leafs might be lacking. Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Hackstall. I'd love to see Bruce Boudreau on that bench. Uh, but I don't know if there will be a fit there because of his over-the-top personality and his willingness to speak to the media. We don't really know if he will be a good fit in a assistant coach role, especially in Toronto because of his fandom here. But it's something we got to watch. And that CC Barry stuff, I feel like we kind of already knew that was going to happen, but it is what it is. Uh, You can't really complain about a situation that just really didn't work for either player. Uh, It's beneficial, I guess, to say that CC isn't coming back because those fans weren't exactly a huge fan of him, but, Leaves another hole at right defense, which they'll have to fill. Um, But one thing that I'm going to say before we transition to basketball and take a quick break is that we likely won't see bubbles again. 
According to Elliot Friedman, the NBA bubble cost $170 million to put on. NHL bubble costs somewhere between 75 and 90 million. Wow. That's just way too expensive for the league, for the teams, and people just aren't really fans of it. So we likely won't see that again next season. Um, it's going to be interesting to watch what the NHL plans to do, and it'll be interesting to see what the NBA does. The price of the NBA is shocking to me, how it cost $170 million. But I guess they have kind of rented Disney for, what, two months? So maybe that kind of makes sense. But that number was insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All it's right. Nuts. So it's nuts. It, it's just nuts. It, I didn't think it would be even close to that amount. I thought it'd be like low tens sort of thing. Yeah. I don't uh, know but, uh, that much about how much, you know, keeping that bubble would cost, quite honestly. And uh, they're probably just going to move to what the MLB did and, you know, what the NFL is doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And MLS, but you don't care. Oh, sorry. That. I'm so sorry about um, that. But as <laughs> Method Man says, cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. So the great Method Man said that, and I think it holds true in this situation as well. Couldn't have said it better myself. Mm-hmm. We'll take a brief break, and we'll be right back to talk everything NBA and some breaking raps news that just came out. And we're back uh, to talk everything basketball after my transition away from the NBA bubble. Um, it's been an interesting few weeks in the NBA, I guess. The Heat beat the Lakers, or the Celtics, and the Lakers beat you just <laughs> Denver. <laughs> Maybe I just predicted the final. Maybe I can see the future. Uh-huh. Maybe. I thought about that. Uh, but yeah, so our final has been set. It is Lakers versus Heat. Let's get your predictions. Who do you think is going to take the NBA bubble championship? How many games is it going to go? Let's hear it. Uh, I Should I start? Yeah, go, yeah. Sure. I've been flip-flopping at least five, six times on this in, you know, since we got what the finals would be right now, I think I'm settled on Lakers and six. I kind of arrived to that just because like a lot of why the heat finished off the Celtics in the way that they did was because the Celtics really had no one to match up against Bam Adebayo. And he put up, monstrous scoring numbers in those games, which we're just not used to him seeing. And that's because in terms of centers, they had Tice and occasionally Cantor that were just a lot slower than him. So he got quick slips to the rim basically every time he wanted. And the Lakers are a lot more athletic up front. Not only is there Anthony Davis, who of course is, you know, an otherworldly athlete as far as big men go. And he's also just bigger than Bam. But also JaVale and Dwight, a lot more so than Tyson Cantor, can handle what Bam brings. And at the same time, you know, the Heat do have a good defender for AD in Bam, and they have a lot of bodies to throw at LeBron. But I think their scoring is going to be muted enough to that, you know, the Lakers probably pull it out. All right, Aiden, what's your prediction? Hmm, I don't know, it's tricky. Uh, both are very good teams. They've gone through tough teams along the way. Um, I didn't think 
the Heat were going to beat the Celtics, to be honest. I think the Raptors were going to be the Celtics' toughest competition, but the Heat handled them in what? It was six games, right? The Heat beat the, the yeah. Celtics in? Yeah. Um, and they look good. You know, Jimmy Butler looks good. Um, that hero kid, I, I'm really cheering for him. I hope he gets the ship. He's like, what, our age? Um, yeah. But then Pretty also, much. like, I want the Lakers to win mainly just because of what they've had to go through this year with Kobe Bryant. And I think it would be just a perfect storybook ending if they get the win for him. But uh, it, it's, it's just so tough. But to be honest, in the final, and I, lo- I know LeBron is, has had his success in the final. He's, he's also lost a few finals as well. But I think at this point in his career, he's just going to win. If he gets to the final, he's going to win. So I'm going to take the Lakers – and I'll say in seven, I think it's going to come right down to the wire. All right. Well, I'm going to go against both of you just so that we have Ooh. a second opinion yeah. on here. Um, and I will heat go with the five. heat. <laughs> Not in five. No. Um, I think Jimmy Butler is going to go off. I don't think there's anybody apart from maybe LeBron who can really guard him. And even in that sort of situation, all he's got to do is swing it out to either Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero, and they're just going to hit everything. So I think the perimeter is going to go to the Heat's way, and I think that's going to be very costly for the Lakers. Um, but I think the center matchup is going to be tough for Bam. He's like, what? It's him or Kelly Olenek. So I think I, – I also think it lends to the Lakers in that uh, in previous series, specifically with the Rockets, they needed to go small and they finished them off easily, but they're still more comfortable playing big. And we saw how the Heat play big in the regular season in which they were a good team, but they weren't nearly to this level. And that's just because in most matchups, a guy like Myers Leonard is going to do less for you than a Jay Crowder just because of his ability to defend multiple positions. But I think if they play Crowder at the four, that's going to be a lot of O-boards going to the Lakers' direction. So I think you might need to play more Kelly. You might need to play more Myers Leonard. And in that case, you're not, you know, you lose a lot of what you of what led to this success. You lose the ability to play the 2-3 zone to the same effectiveness that they were. So I think it's going to be tough for them in that respect as well because I could see them needing to go big. Yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting series to see how Eric Spolster plays it uh, mm-hmm. because the Lakers definitely have their identity. Uh, they can sort of adapt a little bit, but they play the way they play. And it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to a Heat system who I'd argue is pretty versatile. And I'm going to come out with a very bold take. This isn't my hot take, but my bold take, Dion Waiters is going to get a ring. Is it really a bold take? I mean, he, he's literally eligible as long as, Guaranteed you know. to get a ring for both teams. <laughs> as long as the Heat give it to Wait, him. Wait, really? Because yeah, uh, he played for the Heat to start the year, quote-unquote played. He, uh, he got high with the Heat to start the year, and now he's wow. here. Yeah, but, you know, it's the same thing like um, Valanciunas didn't get a ring last year. Uh, Verizhao was offered a ring by the Cavs in 2016 when he was on the Warriors he didn't take it so I mean Waiters is technically eligible for a ring either way but who knows if he takes the heat one yeah it's gonna be interesting I don't think he would right um no I don't think if he he re-signs with the Lakers then I don't think he would (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. Also, yeah. just who knows if he's offered it just with the way that thing ended. True. Yeah. True. That's very true. Because it didn't exactly end the smoothest, I guess. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But probably smooth for waiters. Yeah. He was probably uh, feeling smooth. He's probably feeling pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty relaxed. Yeah, for shall sure. we say? But yeah, it's going to be a very close series. I think. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people make it out to be. Like, I think it's pretty much guaranteed to go six or seven, in my opinion. Well, just a lot of series have gone six yeah. or seven in the bubble, <laughs> just because you know that takes out the home court advantage. So yeah, I think most predictions should be six or seven for that reason. And in that case, when they're that close, anyways the winner of the series might not even be the better team in the series, especially with the bubble. So it's going to be fun for sure. It's going to be random as hell. In my opinion, the two best teams in the NBA are already out of the playoffs, but you know, I, I think, I think the advantage is to the Lakers, like I said, and um, LeBron's going to get number four. And I think that that'll be pretty interesting. All right. Now, who are the players to watch? Wait, hold on. Who do, you, who do you think of the two best teams in the NBA? Bucks and Clippers, or at least okay, in, Bucks and Clippers. I think if the season were to be normal, I would still have that as my prediction yeah. for the finals. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a fair prediction. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you think are the players to watch for mm-hmm. both teams in this series? So maybe give like one or two for Miami and one or two for uh, the Lakers, but Butler and LeBron and AD – they're not allowed the to table, be options, right. yes, because that's just too obvious. So I'd say let's start with the Heat because I find their non-main guys just a lot more interesting than the Lakers' non-main guys. Uh, and instead of going directly to like guys who are featured a ton, like you know a Bam or a Drogic or a Robinson, I kind of look to the back for two reasons. Uh, and firstly, as I mentioned, they might need to go big, and in that case. Myers Leonard, Kelly Olenek might be useful because they can go big on the defensive end and perhaps keep the Lakers away from the offensive boards, which would be very useful. And on the other end, I mean, I'd say Leonard is just straight up a better three-point shooter than Crowder, and Olenek's roughly on Crowder's level. So you still have similar spacing on the offensive end, even though that's not how we're used to seeing the Heat play post-bubble. So I'd say them two for the Heat, and if I could add two more, this might need to go four for both teams if you don't mind. Uh, Iguodala and Derek Jones Jr. Just because I think that they're probably the Heat's two better options to play on LeBron unless you want to get Butler playing A, a key offensive role, and B, be the main assignment on LeBron, which I don't think is a great idea for the entirety of the series, especially because at times he's looked pretty hobbled in the playoffs, so you probably need to conserve some energy for the offensive end. And in that case, Iguodala has a history against LeBron. I don't think he'll be good at def- – or I don't think he'll be as good at defending him as he was five years ago, but I think he should still do a serviceable job just because he's still kind of athletic. He's still strong, a lot stronger than a lot of other wings you'll see. And he's clearly a very, very smart defender. Meanwhile, Derek Jones Jr., he more than matches LeBron's athleticism and is really long. The issue with him is that he just can't shoot. And he's kind of a five offensively, which means that you're probably only going to get his minutes when Bam's off the floor. Uh, For the Lakers, if I can mention four there, and I'm sorry I went four and four. He's taking all of Aiden's picks. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm really no, sorry. For my picks. Either if you way. want, I could stop now. No, go ahead. Okay. We have no issue. 
I'd say Caruso and Danny Green, just because there are a lot of talented perimeter players on the Heat. And they are two, despite what you want to say about their offensive games, they're two very elite perimeter defenders. Uh, they're both just, they're someone who could get a hand on a loose ball. Uh, they, you know, distract a lot of passes. They disrupt a lot of passes. Danny Green improved, especially in the regular season, as an on-ball defender. He didn't give up the drive nearly as much, which was his biggest issue as an on-ball defender previously. But at the same time, like I said, they've struggled offensively. And particularly in Green's case, if he could go back to, say, 40% from three, which I know he's looked garbage for most of the playoffs, but I don't think that that can't necessarily happen. That would really give uh, the Lakers a nice release valve offensively. And then up front, like I said, I think McGee and Howard are going to get run uh, a lot more than in the Rockets series and maybe even more than the Nuggets series. It's going to be definitely those players are going to be interesting to watch. Aiden, who are your players to watch on both teams? I think like when it comes down to the finals now, I think I look towards experience and veteran leadership, especially with like the Heat having a guy like Hero, having a team that's younger and a team that hasn't been to the finals with this core group, you look to a guy like Andre Iguodala to really step up, a guy who's been there before. So I think he might not have the biggest impact on the court, but on the bench. Um, And then on the court, obviously, I'm going to say Tyler Hero. He broke out in the last series. I think he's going to continue to do big things there. And then on the Lakers, just keeping with experience, Danny Green. He was just in the championship game last year, in the finals last year. Uh, plenty of experience with the the uh, Spurs as well. So I look at him. I look at Danny Green and Andre Iguodala to be big guys um, on the bench. I think that's gonna it's gonna come down to that um, and being in a bubble with a young team. Um, I, th- I think it's it's gonna be it's gonna be vital uh, for the veterans to really keep these young guys in check. Yeah, it's gonna be very experience heavy. This. I think series, uh, when you look at how the Lakers are built and you look at the experience that there is on the Heat, I think it's going to be very tight. Uh, I won't do one for the Heat because you've all already said mine. Uh, I will I say, apologize. don't worry about it. <laughs> um, I will say on the Lakers, though, Rajon Rondo, I think he's going to be incredibly important to this Good team. One. Um, especially if one of Caruso or Danny Green aren't playing very well. And he'll be incredibly important in building that offense. And if he can shoot, I think the Heat are in a ton of trouble. Um, but I think Rajan Rondo's definitely going to be a player to watch. And he's getting up there in age too. So can his body hold up after a very, very difficult playoff run where he's basically been playing nonstop? Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. but. Unless either of you have anything else to add to the Lakers heat discussion in the final, I think we can potentially move on to the other NBA news. Oh uh, yeah, sure. Let's get All to right. it. All right. Doc Rivers is out as Clippers head coach, which not the most shocking thing I've ever seen, to be honest, um, following their playoff run and well playoff run. They're frankly terrible playoff run. Uh, he's going to meet with Philly about their head coaching vacancy. So he'll probably be their head coach, to be honest. Uh, I feel like he's probably a pretty decent fit there, but 
What do you guys think about him getting fired? Do you think it was deserved? Do you think that was the right move for the Clippers? Who do you think they should hire? What's that entire situation like for you? Uh, who do you? Okay, I guess I'll start this one again. Uh, I think just on paper, Doc Rivers was the perfect coach for this team. He's a guy who's he's dealt with a lot of star-heavy teams before uh, with the Celtics and the Clippers. He's also a very good strategist for uh, a basically player-centric coach, right? So you see a guy like Ty Lue, who it seemed like all his players liked him when he was in Cleveland, but he he didn't really he wasn't really doing that many things as a tactician in terms of throwing out different adjustments or different plays. Doc had that as well. I guess I kind of overestimated his ability to control a locker room because by all accounts, it seemed like basically the old guard and the new guard of the Clippers with the old guard being, you know, Trez and Pat Bev and Lou Will and the new guard being Paul George and Kawhi. They just, they never really got along and it was, they were pretty fractioned and I'm not a guy that often goes into locker room politics as a reason for someone's firing, but it seems like that's at least part of it. And I do think Doc is probably at least, if not one of the best, one of the most foolproof coaches on the market. I do think he'd be a good fit with Philly. Seems like at least before Doc, you know, left slash got fired, uh, it, it, it seems like they were going with D'Antoni, who I think is a great coach and probably just, I think a better coach than Doc, but at the same time, I think Doc's a better fit for Philly because with Embiid there and with Horford there, I don't think D'Antoni's going to get to D'Antoniize this team as much as he'd like. Yeah, it'll be interesting to do what he does. I wonder if maybe Brett Brown is maybe a fit for the Lakers or the Clippers, sorry. I don't, I don't um, think so, personally. I think they're probably just going to go Ty Lue, maybe Sam Cassell. I think they'll maybe. go Ty Lue. I think they'll mm-hmm. just go with someone that – Kawhi and, and Paul George will want like they're going to make the decision yeah I don't know it's weird because now that Ballmer pulled this it's kind of odd to see who is controlling the Clippers it's a it's because you know Leonard and Paul George or at least the at the very least Leonard who kind of orchestrated George getting there yeah. he seemed like the dude to be in control steering the ship but apparently he you know he he not that he wasn't consulted but Ballmer didn't take anyone else's opinions into account on firing Doc including Lawrence Frank, uh, who, was, who was the team's president, I believe, or if not, a very high member of their front office. So he didn't take anyone into account. So I guess Ballmer's the one really steering the ship. And, you know, because Leonard and PG are both Southern California kids, they probably don't want to leave. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who they put in that spot. Yeah, this entire situation has been interesting to watch as you follow one of the supposed – who are a team who was supposed to be one of the best teams in basketball fall apart in front of us mm-hmm. and the just terrible playoff run they had and how bad Paul George was uh, in hit like all of the Clippers series. It's interesting that they like just did this after one playoffs yeah. with a new team in a bubble during a pandemic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I think, sorry, what were you saying? I just going to say, I don't think this is the best, decision in the world for the Clippers I think that there's got to be something that we're missing I think maybe something internally like in the room yeah I think that it was a it was a locker room that didn't get along but Connor I agree with you that this was probably an impulsive decision like and I I typically don't agree with impulsive decisions just because if there's no pandemic I'd say the Clippers get farther than this and I already said this on the pod but 
uh, you know, either way, there were a lot of weird circumstances. And you could probably say, say Lou Will, Pat Bev, and Montrez, if they were healthier in the bubble, it probably also isn't like this. So, yeah, I don't think it's – I don't think Doc's the top five guy at fault for what's happening. But he's getting the blame because that's often what happens with coaches. Well, when you're the person who's in charge of organizing your staff, which are the players, your mm-hmm. employees, you're the one who has to take the blame. And yeah. you're ultimately the one that gets sacrificed if it isn't working. So it – is unfortunate for Doc Rivers, but he's definitely going to rebound very quickly. For sure. And it'll be interesting to see which team he picks. But let's talk Oladipo because he is potentially on the move. And uh, it was Hoop Central tweeted this out according to Scoop B, who is Brandon Robinson, I guess. Yeah. Um, the Lakers, Knicks, Mavs, Suns, Raptors, Nets, and Timberwolves. <laughs> are all reportedly interested in Victor Oladipo. What do you think of the Victor Oladipo situation right now? Do you think he should move on? And which team do you think is the best fit for him? Uh, Best fit's kind of an odd question. I could see just with the uh, locker room turmoil that we spoke of with the Clippers, being that Oladipo's value is basically at an all-time low coming off of the injury where he didn't look like his Oladipoist, which was in the 2017-2018 season. I'd be interested to see if the Pacers want to stay in playoff contention, if they do a deal like Shamit, Lou Will, and Pat Bev for Oladipo, maybe mix in a couple seconds in there. And that's not much a haul at all. But let's not forget, like, Oladipo is basically on Gordon Hayward value at the moment when you think about how he played in the bubble and how he played just, you know, post-injury. He has not been at the same level that he once was. And for that, I think that the Hall's probably not going to be great for the Pacers. If he asks for a trade a year later, probably going to be a lot better for the Pacers, even though I think he's a free agent that year. But either way, it's just, it's unfortunate for the Pacers who groomed him, made him a star, and now he's going elsewhere. And if I'm the Pacers, like I said, they probably want to stay in contention just because that's how they basically functioned. But I would blow it up personally. What would a package from the Toronto Raptors look like to get Victor Oladipo? I would not make that trade. Like, I don't think it makes much sense for the Raptors. I wouldn't include OG. I wouldn't include Pascal. No. And in that case, who are you giving away? Like Fred Lowry, who I also wouldn't. He's Fred, a free if agent. Resign him. If you resign Fred, I'd rather a Fred. Yeah. Like, if you're looking to make the playoffs, I I need proof that Oladipo can be who he was in order to do something like that. And I don't think that maybe like Norman Powell, someone like that. Yeah. But that would be unique contracts to match up. Yeah. Maybe something like Norman Powell and not many other guys are on the books, but it would be so, it would be so hard to, to give away Powell though. Like I think, I think it's too risky, especially with the injuries that he's had recently. Like I don't think the Raptors would want that. They probably have to give up too much. The Raptors have a good medical team, though. I think that's one of the big things is their medical team is very, very good. And you look at how successful they were with Kawhi and the fact that he barely missed any time because of injury. It was all because he was rested. I think Mm -hmm. the Raptors would be a very good fit for him if he wants to get back to the level where he was. It's a matter of what are the Raptors willing to give up. He also just 
was dependent on athleticism a lot more than Kawhi. So mm-hmm. a lot of his stuff was above the rim and attacking the rim. And when he came back, he just – he it was kind of similar to when McGrady got hurt in his career where he just was not attacking the rim with the same aggression. And he was opting for these avoiding contact plays when the old Oladipo would have gotten to the line and just because of that become a more valuable player. So, yeah, uh, I could also see the Nets like – even just like Levert plus something to match the contracts plus a couple picks straight up. I think that that would probably be done. What about like a Spencer Dinwiddie? Quite honestly, I'm not saying that Oladipo can't get back to how he was, but let's just say at the moment I trust Dinwiddie's production a lot more than Oladipo, but maybe it's probably just me who thinks that, but I don't like the idea of, this guy was really good, and then he had this injury, but let's pretend like he was never hurt and that he's still that guy because you really don't know if he is going to be that guy. Oladipo is an unknown commodity at the current moment. Yeah, it's going to be interesting if they do trade him what the return will look like mm-hmm. in terms of what they are able to recoup in terms of assets. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder, like, that team is pretty built to win now, and you look at they got, like, Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis, you know, a good team Mm -hmm. and what do they need now then is probably the ultimate question what they need and what they want i think are two very different teams the pacers for for the longest time they've been about staying in contention staying in playoff contention and the way that this team is currently constructed that's probably what they will do if they keep it semi together but i don't really think that that's that good a strategy and i think that part of the reason why they don't take any risks is because they really don't have the uh, the most spending owners in the league. So they've kind of needed to cobble together a good roster of good finds. Like TJ Warren was a good find. Sabonis was a good find. Uh, Brogdon was a good find, even though he was, you know, pretty established with the Bucks. But I think at this point, they've all maximized their talent, and this is not a championship-level team. All right. Well, let's wrap up the show because we've had three people in a row who are Raptors fans, and I want to get everybody's take on this. If you are the Raptors, what do you do this offseason? You've got Fred Van Vliet, Serge Ibaka, and Marcus Gasol about to become free agents. Marcus Gasol is now leaving for Barcelona. He'll be playing in Spain to finish out his career, so... That is no longer an option for the Toronto Raptors, and that frees up some money. By the way, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, so you have Ibaka and FVV left. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Let me just say, in Spain, being that we talked talked about this together before, they're going to have Gasol and Miritich now, which are just going to be the two best players like in Europe. So they're stacked as hell, but whatever. No one wants to hear about (laughs) Barcelona. Uh, But yeah, the Raptors... I once was of the camp of keep it together for the chance of signing Giannis. But uh, if you don't sign Giannis, this team has seen its best days, even in its current iteration. Like, are they going to return to the second round and come within sniffing distance of the conference finals with this setup again? I don't think so. And in that case, I mean, you got to let Ibaka go. Uh, I, if, if it's possible, I'd max Fred Van Vliet out just for a sign and trade, quite honestly. See if you could get a couple picks out of that. Uh, And to quote the great Bill Burr, shred everything uh, outside of perhaps Siakam and and Anobi. And Terrence Davis, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree with that as well. I don't think yeah. they blow it up this soon. Sorry, Aiden. Um, I think that they potentially look at blowing it up if they can't get a big free agent next summer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's all what it, it's all dependent on if they can get Giannis. Because if they get, like, first of all, like you have to remember that Giannis won't come here if we decide to just blow it up right now. For sure. We have nobody left. We need to keep people like we have to show show him that we are interested in and still winning and still competing i know that he would change that as soon as he gets here we would turn into an instant contender but we have to still prove to him that that we want to win even um without him on our current roster right but what chance of acquiring Giannis is worth stunting what could be a rebuild and gaining assets true you're right but the we could just do that a to, year later the ability to yeah. contend Ultimately, I don't think the Raptors are contending next year. Mm-hmm. You guys I'm are nuts. Just looking at really, just, I, I don't know. Just I just don't think the they are. It's the, the same East. team, just without Marcus All and potentially Serge Ibaka, where you have the potential to bring in, I'd argue, a better center in Montrezl Harrell. Montrezl Harrell is not a better center than them. Like he's better offensively in certain matchups, but he is not a good defensive player by any stretch. And the top of that. I mean, Ibaka and Gasol, that's a rim protection right there. Gasol, despite you know him looking so crappy in the playoffs, regular season-wise, was the team's best defender. And, like, the Raptors are moving one clear direction. Worse. Lowry's getting older. They're going to be worse next year, <laughs> no matter what. Worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know yeah. about that one. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. But it's an interesting conversation to have, and I'm sure we'll have it at some point in the future. But... We need to do our hot takes before we wrap up this episode because you want to blow up the Raptors, which is probably a hot take in itself. Uh, Before we do hot takes, I want one word answer. Do you sign the OG extension now or do you wait until next year? I'd sign now. All right. I'd sign now. And with that, with that, let's get our hot takes. Who has one prepared? Because I do not. Uh, I'll take it. I right. think uh, I know that the conference finals didn't look all that great for this player, but I think if the best big man in the game, if you count Davis as a big man, I'd say Jokic is still the best big man in the NBA. And I think that is because he is arguably a top five offensive player in the league and the best passing center of all time. So I'd take Jokic over Davis. I'd take Jokic over Embiid by a mile and I think offensively, he's basically Dirk plus Pow. And that's just unheard of. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I like that. Aiden, do you have a you. hot take? Yes, I do. I have two. I don't know if I want to share both of them this week. Um, I'm going to say, and you guys probably won't think this is that hot because it's, it's a baseball one. I'm going to say the San Diego Padres win the World Series this year. So they're going to have to go through the L.A. Dodgers. They're the favorites to win it. I think the Padres will upset them. I think they'll upset, you know, whoever they play in the World Series, the Yankees, the Rays, the Jays. Um, I don't know. I think the Padres like will it. win. Even though they're a young team, I think they'll win. All right. And I will wrap us up with a hockey hot take. And I will say... There will be a blockbuster in the next week. Next week, we are going to be talking a just 
absolutely huge deal. Uh, probably involving the Arizona Coyotes. Okay, interesting. Not Jack Eichel? Versus say. Not Jack Eichel, and I didn't put that on the list purposefully because that will never happen. But with that, well, never happened this offseason. Let me rephrase that. Hey, it might know. happen next year. With that, Seth, thank you for joining us. Thank you very really, much for having me. Really, really, really appreciate it. This was a ton of fun. Really good conversation. And good to talk basketball with someone who really knows what they're talking about. Uh, it's been a good couple of weeks with basketball people following Therese and Joseph, uh, mm-hmm. who are both incredibly knowledgeable as well. But thank you for coming on. We'll link all of this stuff down below. Um, we will push him to make some sort of thing that he can compile all of his stuff into. <laughs> because right now it's all over the place. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening. All of this stuff is down below. Check me out on Twitter at CWG Somerville. Um, I have an announcement involving my other podcast coming potentially the next day. So keep your eye out for that. Uh, Aiden, where they, can they find you? Uh, Instagram at Aiden Soafant. Uh, also, I got another podcast at Unlimited Pod. You can check that out. We just reviewed the movie Tenet. Um, It's a pretty good movie. Very complicated to explain it, but check it out. Hopefully you guys don't get confused. All right. And with that, thank you for listening. Click like if you liked this video. Click subscribe if you really liked it. Rate the podcast on all of the podcast apps that you're listening to this on. And we'll be back next week. Peace.